0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Napoleon Bonaparte Podcast. The long-awaited episode number 43. Those of you listening to us in real time will know that it's been a couple of months since we've done a show for a variety of reasons which we may touch upon. But before we do that, let me welcome my much-esteemed (laughs) co-host, Vice President of the International Napoleonic Society and recent recipient of the uh, City of Ajaxio Honorary Citizen or Medal. Is that right? Well, hello,
1: Cameron. And David hello, Markham!
0: Hello,
1: <laughs> hello Cameron. And hello, listeners. Uh uh, hey, you, you may have almost forgotten the sound of my voice it 's been so long, although we've had a, a, at least one or two folks uh mentioned to me that are are on the website that uh uh they 're still catching up, so this this delay hasn't been the end of the world uh the, the medal you refer to is the medal of the city of Ajaccio, uh, which the mayor uh, did present to me at a champagne reception in in my honor and also in general. Michel Franceschi's honor, uh, the four-star retired general uh, from France uh, in Corsica, who who was also there as, as the co-host to this Congress. Uh, it was a wonderful Congress. Uh, I received a, a couple of other medals from various governmental agencies, as again did General Franceschi. Uh, and and the most uh, amazing uh, uh, medal that I that I received, and also Franceschi did for his book, was the. The medal of the, uh, the, the the Count Las Casas uh, medal for uh, Napoleonic literature, in my case, in English, uh, given by the Mexican Napoleonic Society. Uh, it was presented uh, to to me, and then also to to uh, uh, General Franceschi by a, a lovely uh, lady, uh, Isis Worth, uh, from uh, who's Swiss, but who is very much involved in the Mexican group. Uh, at a banquet uh, given uh, uh, in in all of our honor, uh, which was—I've been to many of these things—and and this was truly one of the most fantastic evenings I've ever had at anything uh, Napoleonic. And it was my great, great personal pleasure to give. Uh, uh, Eagles of of, of the, signifying the, being a fellow in the International Napoleonic Society to several people, in, including our mutual friend, uh, Sean Richards, the musician who is and composer who was composing a, a Napoleonic uh, uh, a musical. And I was honored and personally extraordinarily pleased to give the highest honor. Of the International Napoleonic Society, the, the Legion of Merit, uh, to a extraordinarily, uh, extraordinarily deserving person, deserving recipient, uh, and that would of course be the most, the Right Honourable uh, Cameron Riley, for all of the groundbreaking work he has done. You have done uh, in using technology, uh, podcasts, and other things to. To promote Napoleonic history, so it was a wonderful event for uh, all of us. We met some extraordinary people on on the uh, at the Congress, as 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 we always do. Uh, and I could I could list any number of them uh, who 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 were just uh, just delightful people to meet. Uh, the Congress was extraordinarily uh, well uh, attended. We had a, a wonderful Israeli contingent. We had people from, from Switzerland, from Belgium, uh, from, from North America, of course, from Australia, obviously you. And we went to the island of Elba for a day and, and saw where Napoleon was in exile. It was just a, a, it was about nine days or eight days, and it was just absolutely a spectacular time.
0: It was, and uh, it was a very touching moment for me when you presented me with the Legion of Merit. Thank you again, sir. And but it was, and congratulations, and thank you for just putting the whole thing together. I mean, it it was, it was just an amazing time. I can't think of superlative adjectives enough to really describe the time I had over there and the people that I got to meet, and uh, it changed my life in many, many ways. Some of which. Uh, we won't talk about it on the show, but it was just uh, it was just a, <laughs> a yes, yes, a stunning, a stunning time. And um, people who uh, who are thinking about going to future congresses should definitely take the opportunity. But I have to say, having it in Ajaccio was a was a master stroke. What a what a what a beautiful place Corsica is. Well,
1: it is a beautiful place, and and I appreciate the kudos that you give to me. Uh, I think that the majority of the kudos really go to, to a dear friend of mine, uh, two dear friends of mine, actually, uh, Michel and Nelly Franceschi. Uh, Michel Franceschi, like I said, is a retired four-star general in the French uh, military uh, who holds the, the, the Legion of, of Honor, uh, and he was my person on on the ground, my local contact, as it were, that that really... Brought the various governmental agencies and tour groups and other groups uh, uh, into participation in this, and 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 made it really happen. Uh, I put the academic program together and was in charge. Of course, I do the publicity, publicity and, and and other things, and I'm I'm happy to to take my fair share. But the lion's share, without question, of of credit for this goes to Michelle. But it also goes to people like you and and Isis Wirth and and all of the other uh people, Sean Richards, uh uh Christine Dunaway, uh, Craig Shell, the three musicians uh who were there and, and performed brilliantly uh at, at the banquet, uh, uh many friends of mine from Israel, including of course especially Mordecai Gihon and 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 all the others whose participation uh, made it uh uh, always uh, a successful uh, Congress. Uh, people like uh, Yvonne uh and uh, Philippe Montanari, uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, Jeannie Rutterman, you know, I, I could I could pull out the program, I suppose, and, and just run down the list, and and maybe we'll post the program or at least a list of speakers on our website, uh, because really Congresses are. Mostly about the people who come and present the results of their research or present other aspects of their Napoleonic work uh, for for us to 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 hear and to evaluate and to discuss uh, and and those folks and the others i haven 't mentioned are, are are really the ones who are behind all of this and of course, I have to to point out my 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 dear wife barbara who who helped me uh, organize all of this without her. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to get as much done as I do, uh, just like Michel certainly depended on, on on his lovely wife, Nellie, uh, on on his end. So you put it all together, people like you and the other participants, uh, Michel and Nellie, Barbara, myself. And, of course, uh,
0: there, were, there, were, there were members of the audience of this show who came to Ajaxio and also to Paris for our little uh, uh, video tour sessions around Paris for a couple of days, which was fantastic.
1: Oh, well, that was absolutely wonderful, uh, to, to, to meet people who actually spend God knows how many hours, uh, people like, like Nick Stark, for example, uh, who's a high school student, uh, who managed to come over to Paris and meet us and to, to spend, uh, uh, that, that many, uh, hours listening to us and, and then to, to, to show up there, uh, and Craig came over as as well and 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 met us We've got a number of photographs of, of of these folks i think on the website uh It was just an extraordinary experience I remember uh you and i and, and those two and Jeannie ruderman who was who also came up from corsica to to join us uh and and uh, a couple of other folks uh who and we're sitting out there at the Cafe de la Paix, which is has become unfortunately quite pricey, but it's there, you know, <laughs> uh, on the street looking out over uh, uh, the the old uh, uh, Paris Opera, as in the Phantom of the Opera, uh, and you know it just doesn't get any better than that. And then we we walked around and we we have pictures, you know, along among the Column Vendome, and. While we were walking along the street in front of the Ritz, here comes a motorcade with the president of Syria because they had some big uh, fall draw going on. Uh, and then we did videotaping on Bastille Day uh at Napoleon's tomb and at the uh, Arc de Triomphe. And we have pictures of yours truly clambering up on a French tank uh that was waiting to go on to the parade along the Champs-Élysées. I mean, I just you know it's it's really really difficult to get any better uh than that. It was truly a wonderful experience all the way around. by the way, just for good measure uh my wife and I went down to uh Alicia and, and saw where napole where where uh, Julius Caesar beat Vercingetorix at the Battle of Alicia and then we went up to uh Aachen or uh chapelle if you prefer uh and saw charlemagne's haunts uh just a little extra history added in there uh, when we do a program on charlemagne sometime i'll I'll include photographs that we took of of uh, some of the sites there so it was uh it was a wonderful time, and again, your presence and the the dVD that we're going to put together that you're really going to put together, which we'll make available for a nominal fee to whoever would like to buy it, I mean you know your presence was one of the most unique and extremely important presences uh, at this Congress. And I, I again, want to, to thank you so much for making that long trek from Australia uh, and, and helping make this Congress the success that it was.
0: Oh, it was my pleasure, David. It was, uh, it was certainly um, not just the highlight of my year so far, but I think probably uh, one of the highlights of my life really was. But we should get and on for me and too. We should do the show. Let's move on. I
1: suppose I suppose we should.
0: <laughs> now, um, man, I, I, it's, it's been so long since the last show. David and I were just trying to remember where we got up to, but uh, I, I did have a listen to it, and I remember that in the last episode we had Napoleon finally on his last island, Saint Helena, and uh, we talked a little bit about his relationship with uh, Betsy Balcom, the young fourteen-year-old. British girl who became quite close friends with Napoleon. And we talked about the increasing tensions that he had with his British governors, his jailers on the island. Now, of course, when he first arrived on the island, the uh, governor in charge of the island was Admiral Cockburn. Is that correct? That's correct. There was Colonel Wilkes and then there was Admiral Cockburn but uh, not long after Napoleon arrived, we had the arrival of Hudson Lowe. And I think that's kind of where we got up to, because really the story of Napoleon's time on St. Helena is very much the story of this character, Sir Hudson Lowe, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. Uh, I just want to mention Cockburn a little bit. Uh, I, I don't recall for sure exactly what we, what we said about him. Uh, Sir Hudson Lowe... And I think deservedly gets a lot of bad press for the way he treated Napoleon. And we'll certainly delve into this. Uh, but it's also true that Cockburn uh, really had sort of begun that process. Uh, Cockburn had, had had been on on the boat with uh, with Napoleon, and they and they'd gotten along fine. I mean, you know, Napoleon was really treated quite well on the boat. Well, I mean, he can't leave. I mean, there's no security issues. Obviously, uh, he, he he doesn't have even the remotest chance to hijack the ship or anything like that uh, because there's, there's a squadron or so of, of British Marines on board, etc. So, you know, Napoleon has the run of the ship, and people treat him with, with respect. Uh, he he chats with uh, Dr. Verling, I think I probably mentioned, and, and other people. Uh, but once, once Cockburn becomes becomes the governor, uh things began to, to, to turn a little bit south. Uh, the restrictions are tighter than Napoleon thinks uh, is reasonable. And, and let me, again, and again, I, I, I may have mentioned this already, but I want to refresh memories because we've, we've all been away from this for a little while. Uh, this is a small island. There's not very many places that anyone could go to hide. And even if they could, so what? They couldn't get off the island. A ship of any size and any speed would be seen days before it actually arrived at the island. So any ship coming would be watched carefully, would be met by the military authorities. And the ships did come in and out all the time. Uh, But there would be absolutely no way that Napoleon, no reasonable way, I mean, anyone can, can concoct a, a, a way of sneaking Napoleon onto a ship, uh, but every time a ship was in, they could, they could tighten things up and keep a closer watch on him. But when there's no ship around, there's absolutely no reason uh, for the kind of tight restrictions that they gave him because Napoleon could not escape. All of the scenarios that, that, that novelists and others like to write, alternative historians, uh, about how Napoleon could be snuck out this way or that way. None of them really make sense uh, because the British would always know exactly what ship was there and could literally, you know, strip search every person who went on or off the ship if if, if it really came to it. Uh, in spite of that fact, the the British governor, starting with Cockburn and certainly getting in with Lowe, uh, insisted on some Increasingly tight restrictions, moreover the the house that he was put at, Longwood House, uh, again, we've probably talked about this somewhat, but the fact of the matter is, uh, the house was not great. It was in very, very poor repair. Things were leaky, there were rats, there were uh, you know, additions that had been made had been, had, had not been made very well. Uh, many of our listeners may have had experiences with contractors or subcontractors that don't do a very good job in building this or building that. Uh, Barbara and I recently had an experience where we had to spend a huge amount of money uh, having repairs for water damage because a subcontractor, you know, many years ago, long before we had the house, did things very poorly, and 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 water essentially instead of being directed away. Was being directed into the walls, et cetera, so you know we 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 all have experiences or have heard of experiences like this and and that's what Longwood was Longwood was not the the wonderful you know home that 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 apologists for the for the British position like to make it into uh, and and uh you know guards were posted you know close at hand when the was at the briars. the guards kept their distance uh but now, for some reason, when he's at Longwood, they're they're they're, they're much closer. Uh, but Napoleon did what he could. In the beginning, he had a a fair amount of territory uh, where he was allowed to go, so he would he would garden, he would take walks, uh, he would go for rides. Uh, I'm I'm not a big horseman. I don't tend to think of going for a ride on a horse as being great exercise. I'd rather take a walk or go running or something. But but yeah, at least you're getting out, you're getting fresh air and. And you're doing something that 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 you enjoy. Uh, he would hold you know formal dinners, etc. Uh, he would receive guests. One of the things that a lot of folks may not be aware of is that a, a number of people visited Napoleon when he was in exile, when he was in exile on Elba, uh, where he was literally the Emperor of Elba, and he was not in prison, uh, or not as you know being considered a prisoner. Uh, he entertained many, many people. But even as a, a prisoner on Saint-Hélène, uh, he entertained people. And you can get, you know, what these folks write about what it was like to meet Napoleon, what Napoleon was like, how he looked, et etc. et cetera. And, and, and in all honesty, I find that to be some pretty fascinating uh, reading. So so Napoleon does, does what he can. I mean, the, Napoleon is one of these people who can make do up to a point and he realizes that he's not going to have the same life that he did as Emperor of Alba and certainly not the same life that he had as Emperor of the French I mean he, he rolled the die in uh, uh, 1815 for the 100 days and it came up craps and so he knows that things are going to be different but what he doesn't know is just how different they're going to be and what he begins to resent is that they are in his view, and I think in the views of history, if you will, uh they're 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 more stringent than, than they need to be. But there's an there's another issue uh too. And that is, you know, his his followers who are there with him. I mean he, he dictates Napoleon dictates memoirs to Lacaz, uh, to 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 Baron Gorgon, and and, and, and he talks with Montfalon, who records things uh and he 's studying english and he 's having conversations with this person and that person uh uh he 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 loves to hear uh, Albin montalon uh, sing uh, in the evening uh it, it turns out that some evenings of course uh she 's doing a lot more than singing uh she she they 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 have a an affair i mean napoleon is in his you know Late forties, early fifties, during these, these these times, and and
0: uh, is that you know, is, is that fact or rumor?
1: No, I'm 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 pretty sure that's fact, actually. And in point of fact, there's a, she has a child that some folks believe looks a lot like Napoleon, and it's not at all surprising. First of all, you're emperor, so you know it's not real hard to 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 come on to somebody. Uh, uh, secondly y you, you you as a man you you, you do have needs. Uh Albine apparently was quite attracted to Napoleon. Uh she had a husband, uh Comte de Montalon and and uh so presumably her, her sexual needs could have been met there. Uh but yeah, I mean people have affairs and and uh it's it's not real shocking that someone would, you know, particularly someone who was herself devoted to and her husband was devoted to Napoleon's well being uh, might might uh, might choose to do that so again as, as far as i 'm concerned there's there's really uh, not uh, not any question about it but but what is happening is that and you have to sort of again remember the situation these folks, although for the most part they really wanted to be there, are stuck on this little island. With a lot less to do than they thought was going to, to 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 be available, I don't think any of them, including Napoleon, quite realized how grim St Helena was or how restricted they would be uh you know the the The, the town of jamestown is, is it's 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 nothing to brag about uh they soon realized that they're going to be there longer than they probably had anticipated i mean there was some feeling that you know napoleon would 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 either be able to escape or or they would uh eventually just decide to let him go uh there were all sorts of, of of possibilities none of which uh really were all that likely uh but uh you know there is a certain amount of disillusion that sets in uh and and then there are a a series of of what in my book I call petty jealousies, and there's no better term for them than that. Uh, when you are in a small court like Napoleon tried to hold, and you are in such restricted circumstances, you begin to resent anyone else who you think might somehow be getting a little bit more. Than you are. Whether it's more of Napoleon's time, uh, whether it's uh, more influence over Napoleon, whether it's maybe better quarters—I mean, you name it—and and and the resentment begins to uh, to build. Uh, a lot of it had to do with how much face time they had with Napoleon. Remember, these folks are dedicated to Napoleon, and they're stuck on this damned island with him, and they want to spend time with the guy they revere. And so if one person thinks the other person is 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 hogging Napoleon's time, well there's 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 resentment. And and Napoleon, quite frankly, uh got sick of it and 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 almost really didn't want to be around these folks. I, I honestly think from what I've read, and I allude to this in, in Napoleon for Dummies, I, I honestly think he preferred the company of the British. Not low, of course. Uh, but some of the British officers that he would meet occasionally early on, at least uh, later on, maybe a little different. But early on, you know, he he, he would s- sort of socialize with them and so on. And I think he actually preferred them. Pardon my yawn here. And needless to say, and you can put yourself, uh, Cameron or any of our listeners into their place. Let's say you're a young lieutenant or a sergeant or whatever or 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 anyone else. And suddenly you find yourself face to face with the the most famous or perhaps from the British standpoint, the most infamous person of your time, whether, you know, it's Napoleon, the great or the ogre, of course, to take your pick. But, you know, there you are. And, and he's trying to talk with you. He's paying some attention. You actually have an opportunity to chat with the great man himself. So yeah, I mean they're delighted, you know. I mean, I, I mean, if you're the guard, you know, and and Napoleon comes out and starts to ask you, you know, uh, what's it like to be in the British military, you're you're happy to to, to talk with someone like that. And quite frankly, Napoleon uh, was, uh, I think, happy to to be around them.
0: Mind if I insert now, an anecdote. I'm sorry. Do you mind if I insert an anecdote on Napoleon? Oh,
1: please uh, do. The, I'm I'm the push- I'm afraid that I am. Uh, talking non-stop here. Well, I it's, been
0: a, it's been a couple of months. I know you've got a lot of pent-up uh, talking to do, David. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm, I, I've got, um, I, once again, Dame Mabel Brooks's uh, St. Helena story. She was, uh, I think, as I mentioned last time, uh, Dame Mabel Brooks, very uh, famous Australian uh, lady who was a descendant of, uh, not Betsy Balcombe, but Betsy Balcombe's uh, little brother, Alexander, I think. And she uh, wrote a book about, uh, based on Betsy's diaries. But um, she says, she talks about Napoleon and some of his entourage. She talks about Gurgol. Is that how you pronounce it? G-O-U-R-G-A-U-D? Gurgol? Yeah, Gurgol. Gurgol? She Says, um, he suffered from a lack of humor. He brooded over <laughs> fancied insults and upbraided the emperor, who strangely passive, soothed him as if he were a fractious child. My dear Gurgol, how glum you look. Have a cold rub down, that will do you good. Do you fancy that I don't have terrible moments? At night I wake up and think of what I was and to what I have come. She then goes on to say that uh, his devotion to Napoleon was hysterically fantastic in its intensity, and it was considered that he watched him with a jealous fervor that reacted violently to a chance word of commendation by the emperor for any of the others, or indeed to reference of any kind to their virtues or their attributes. He loved me as a lover, his mistress, Napoleon exclaimed when Gogo finally left for England. He was impossible. The emperor bore with him, however, tolerating his tantrums and supporting his outbursts with a moderation almost out of character with his own fiery spirit. <laughs> I like that. He loved me as a lover, his mistress, kind of. I know, but well, I, he is French I think that's,
1: that. That I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That, that's a good quote, and, and, and there's a lot of truth to it. By the way, I, I do want to recommend a, a book uh, uh, which uh, was uh, out a few years ago, uh, produced by uh, Ravenhall Books. It's called uh, "To Befriend an Emperor: uh, Betsy Balcom's Memoirs of Napoleon and Saint Helena," which which talks a little bit about some of this. And I was honored to write an introduction to it, but of course, my introduction uh, pales in comparison with the with her memoirs. Uh, and I think we probably mentioned that one before, but, but uh, now there's getting, getting back to <clears throat> Baron Gorgon and others. <clears throat> excuse me. No, there's, there's absolutely no question uh, that again, as I said, these folks were dedicated to Napoleon. They begged to be there. Uh, Gorgon himself uh, just absolutely uh, uh, wanted to be there. Uh, and, that was all well and good and you know i don't know about how someone you know uh what was it a lover loves a mistress or something uh you know i, I don't have a great deal of experience that way but uh, i'm assuming that that there's an intensity uh there that that uh might be sometimes difficult to uh, to take uh if you're the mistress uh, you know maybe a little suffocating i think that's what the, the you know that quote's trying to say Oh, and uh, sure.
0: I've got another Uh, one. I'm sorry? I've got another one before you can Go ahead. You You were talking about Napoleon receiving visitors? Yes. I like this story. Once out of devilment and knowing the emperor had a great repugnance to ugly women, Betsy begged to present a lady whom in her diary she calls Mrs. S, the wife of one of the highest officials in India. Mrs. S had spent a day or two at Jamestown while a ship – Homeward Bound lay in James Rhodes. Betsy had judged her one of the plainest women in the world. Though her airs and graces made it manifest, she imagined her charm to transcend that of the most famous beauty of the day. She was overjoyed at the prospect of meeting the great prisoner and arrayed herself accordingly in crimson velvet and pearls, her hair held up by butterflies of diamonds, rubies and emeralds. Oh, my. Napoleon, when she was presented, opened with the usual gambit. Was she married? How many children? And so on. But his amazement was undisguised as he scrutinised her appearance, trying in vain to single out one attribute upon which to compliment her. Fin- <laughs> Finally, his observation settled on the coiffure caught up by the bejeweled butterflies, and as he bade her farewell, he remarked, Madame, you have most luxuriant hair and retired precipitately. After that, Napoleon forbade Betsy to bring anyone to meet him. He was seriously <laughs> displeased knowing that a trick had been played, especially as afterwards he learned that the lady in question on her arrival in England had published in the newspapers a full account of the meeting and reported that Napoleon had lost his heart to her charms.
1: <laughs> oh, my. Well, that's uh, that's something. And again, you know, this is this is something that... That Napoleon had to deal with, uh, not necessarily meeting this, this plain woman or whatever, uh, but people who did want to, to, to somehow capitalize on their association with him. Uh, some of his, his own uh, close associates would, would, would publish uh, uh, memoirs about their time with Napoleon, hoping to cash in on Napoleon – uh, people who 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 would simply meet him, as the woman in in, in your story did, uh, would publish uh, uh, descriptions of their meeting and so forth, hoping to cash in. And you cannot completely blame them, particularly those associates who 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 gave up so much of their lives to him uh, and spent some time in exile with them. I mean, you 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 can't blame them. And of course, Napoleon wanted. Uh, their memoirs to be published as well, because he wanted his version of the truth to come out, and uh, and it did. So so that's that's not real surprising. At any rate, uh, it also has to be said of the British to get back to where we were, uh, that the British made some efforts to improve things for Napoleon. They really didn 't want the word to get out to the rest of the world that Napoleon was being mistreated. he was still very popular with a lot of people in Europe, including a, a significant portion of people in in great britain uh, and and you know nations have their reputations to consider, so having pushed to get the responsibility for having Napoleon as their imperial prisoner, if you will, the British really didn't want this to end up being a great big black eye. So they realized that Longwood was not all that great. So they began to make some repairs. Uh, they, they, they brought in some, some nice furniture uh, for, for the house, or at least nicer. They, they, Took away some of the restrictions. In fact, for for a short period of time, Napoleon more or less had the run of the island. I mean, he had to be watched carefully, but but he he wasn't restricted quite so much as as uh, he he had been before. Unfortunately, this isn't going to last long. In April of eighteen sixteen, uh, Sir Hudson Lowe uh, arrives, and.
0: Sarah Hudson Lowe. Actually, can I can I interrupt just before you go on with Hudson Lowe? Please. You were talking about Cockburn before, and um, I've I've got again um, uh, Mabel Brooks's writing here. She says, um, uh, 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 "Oh damn! I, I thought I had the quote right open in front of me, and I screwed it up." But basically, she was saying that she didn't think he was such a bad guy that. Uh, Bertrand apparently thought he was a uh, very kind and honest guy. Napoleon ha- had increasing issues with him after they got off the Northumberland and, and, and settled on the island and, and Cockburn took over. But um, here she, here it is. Bertrand consistently declared Cockburn to be really an honest and good man. Napoleon was to know later, and he already knew but would not admit it, that Monthelon was not infallible. I mean, this, apparently Monthelon was... Uh, Trying to to blacken the admiral's character for reasons uh, known only to Montalon, I guess. But I just wanted to, there were there were you know various perspectives of Cockburn and his time there. He seems to have been, although he did uh, send a poll into Longwood, he seemed to have been uh, by some accounts uh, strict but uh, reasonable. Sorry, that's all well, I wanted to say.
1: And 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 to some extent that may be true, and I. I don't uh hold myself out as 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 an expert uh on, on on Cockburn. Uh but uh you know he he really is a relatively minor player uh compared to Sir Hudson Lowe. In fact an awful lot of people have a tendency to sort of forget about uh, Cockburn. Uh I've got his memoirs and and, and could have dug out something uh on, on, on what he said. But uh you know, that's uh the, the, the real person in all of this is Sir Hudson Lowe. And since you are uh very good at coming up with quotes uh, which 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 I am the, that's the
0: only the, thing I that's the only thing I can do on this show I press oh no no I, no, I no. press that's, the button and I come up with quotes and that's it well that's my stick
1: <laughs> at least you are admitting to having graduated from just being the <laughs> the button pusher to being the quote monger as well <laughs> but I have I have some poetry you know we sang a song uh, a few episodes ago uh and now I'm going to read some poetry and it is uh it is by a, a british poet named thomas more uh who in 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 his uh uh compilation of poetry called 1816 and you the first time you hear the name it's spelled l o w e the second time you hear it it's spelled l o w and and that's the, the drawback to reading the poem on the air But now that you know the two spellings of of the word "low," uh, each with very different meanings, uh, allow me to read you this poem, Sir Hudson Low, Sir Hudson Low, by name and ah by nature, so, as thou art fond of persecutions, perhaps thou'lt read or heard repeated, how Cup Captain Gulliver was treated when thrown among the Putins. They tied him down, these little men did, and having valiantly ascended upon the mighty man's protuberance, they did so strut. Upon my soul it must have been extremely droll to see their pygmy pride's exuberance. And how the dotty mannequins amused themselves with sticking pins and needles in the great man's breeches, and how some very little things that passed for lords on scaffoldings got up and worried him with speeches. (laughs) Alas, alas, that it should happen to mighty men to be caught napping, though different too those persecutions, for Gulliver there took the nap, while here the nap, oh, sad mishap, is taken by the Lily Putins.
0: <laughs> very nice, very nice indeed.
1: That's one of my favourite poems, uh, certainly of, of, of this period. As you can, as you can well imagine. So Once
0: Hudson, again So Hudson Go Lowe. A um, little bit of background for people on Hudson Lowe. Born in Ireland, uh, his father was an army surgeon. He ended up uh, joining the army himself. Uh, in 1793, he saw active service successively in Corsica, Elba, Portugal, and Menorca, and while he was in Corsica, of course, I think we've mentioned this before, but he was billeted at Casa Buonaparte, which of course we, uh, we got a tour of and, and spent a bit of time in when we were in Corsica, um, and Hudson Lowe stayed there, which is um, one, of the, one of the nice ironies of the story.
1: Well, I think it's a rather sad irony myself. You know.
0: well, <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't
1: I'm not know. Hudson Lowe's biggest fan. I give him his due. I mean, I'm not one of those folks who thinks he's you know evil incarnate, not by any means. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that he was not the right person for this job, uh, and, and I'll talk about that later.
0: So he went on after the Peace of Armillon. He uh, was a, a major. Then he became assistant quartermaster general. And after that broke down, and, and the UK went back to war with France in eighteen oh three, he was uh, given the responsibility as a lieutenant colonel to raise a Corsican battalion and uh, use it in the defence of Sicily. And uh, you know, he went on had a had a reasonable career in the military, and of course, um, but he's what he's most known for, of course, is. Uh, being sent to, uh, where are we? St. Helena, yes, being sent to St. Helena. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're,
1: we're in St. Helena, we're exiled.
0: He actually, um, I, I should point out though, that um, he re- received quite a bit of praise from Bluka, who I think we're both fans of old Bluka, Despite the fact that you know he was the, the, the real turning point of the downfall of Napoleon at Waterloo, I mean Blucher was uh, one of these crusty old military guys that you 've got to love
1: and- well I, 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 I agree, except that he was also the one who would have shot Napoleon on sight and i i 've got very little use for that attitude toward, toward anyone who was about to be defeated you don 't you don't shoot someone like napoleon uh or, or anyone else or someone like blucher for that matter I, on site suspect, but
0: other than that i agree with you i suspect when he said that he might have just been mouthing off he was probably drunk i think he, well, I he, could. he, he liked to drink old blucher but uh um, well, well he he was very fond of his medication
1: just as i am very fond <laughs> of my medication and just just to remind folks yes indeed uh uh, I still have whatever ails me and I, I need my occasional sip of my medication.
0: <laughs> uh, and uh, he, and actually Hudson Lowe was chosen – he was um, with the, the Russo-German Legion during that campaign. He was actually chosen to take the news to London of Napoleon's first abdication in 1814. So uh, and then he was uh, knighted, promoted to major general. Uh, you know, he had quite the uh, quite the career before um, he was. You know, even before he was sent to Saint, Saint Helena. Saint, Saint well, sure. Saint I mean, Saint he
1: Helen. he was an honorable soldier. Uh, he was known again, as I point out in the book. Uh, you know, he was one of those. You know by the book kind of officers, if he was given an order he he would carry it out uh as specifically as he could uh as I think I say with no wiggle room uh and that is in some situations extraordinarily good uh an extraordinarily good characteristic for for an officer to have uh in and, in and, and some situations you want an officer who will take an order and follow it out to the letter thank you very much but in other situations particularly where you are in a a place where the people giving the orders may or may not uh, really understand the situation where you're dealing with a politically charged situation that you know, uh, could backfire on you. Could could have repercussions internationally, uh, where you're dealing with a, a a person who is at at once a a massive ego and and at the same time uh, an object of extreme pathos. Uh, this would be Napoleon, of course. Uh, there, where you need to be able to sort of evaluate the situation and interpret your orders in ways that make sense for where you are as opposed to on a battlefield where you're simply told, do this, do that, and the other thing, and, and off you go. Uh, there you, you don't really want someone who isn't willing to take initiative and isn't willing to, to, to bend the orders or interpret the orders in ways uh, that, that take into account the unique situation in which you find yourself. Now, again, to give Lowe his due, when he arrived, he was determined to be successful. I believe he was determined to actually establish a good relationship with Napoleon. Among other things, they both spoke Italian. uh, And and that uh, would you know, presumably work in, in Hudson Lowe's favor. Napoleon uh was learning English, but he, he never really got very good at English. Uh clearly if Lowe spoke French, that would be fine, but since Lowe didn't speak French, the fact that he spoke uh English uh was was really, you know, very good. Uh and Lowe was convinced by Napoleon that Longwood was an inappropriate house for him to stay in uh, that he is, you know, given who he was, deserved to have a place that was first of all in a better location because uh, they were you know, this was on the worst possible spot, a great big windswept plain where the weather extremes were more extreme than any place else on the island uh, and so uh you know, Lowe says, OK, listen, we'll we'll make the repairs that are necessary and we will build you a new home uh, elsewhere on the island and in and, and a much better location. Plus, he knew Napoleon liked to read. And he, Lowe, had an extensive library and his digs. And he says, listen, you just let me know, you know, uh, what, what you'd like to borrow, and, and it's yours. I am happy to allow you uh, full use of my personal library. Well, this is a nice gesture. And again, I want to give Hudson Lowe his due. He's making an effort. However, he refused Napoleon's request to reduce the restrictions. Uh, Cockburn had reduced them some, but Napoleon found them still a bit onerous. And uh, Lowe uh, indicated that uh, not only would he not reduce them, but in fact he was probably uh, going to make them stricter. Uh, He was going to reduce Napoleon's ability to receive visitors, and he was going to to reduce uh, the the ability that Napoleon had to, to go around the Island and in a little, you know, petty gesture, uh, when he would send books to Napoleon. And again, I, I this is in the book as well. Uh, he would be certain to always send some books that were critical of Napoleon. So that Napoleon never, was allowed to sort of forget that you know he he wasn't necessarily as popular as he as he thought it might be
0: uh, nothing from in the, time nothing from go ahead that, nothing from the j david Markham catalog made it there then obviously
1: well uh, many of my students really do believe i think that I was there with napoleon but but i'm i'm happy <laughs> i'm happy to tell you that that my books were not available to napoleon however uh Had they been, particularly Napoleon Uh, for dummies, which has been translated into French, Napoleon (laughs) pour les nuls, as well now, by the way, and you already know it was translated Uh, into Dutch, but it's also been translated into Russian now, I'm very happy to tell you.
0: I've got to tell two stories just while I think of it. (laughs) If anyone listening to the show thinks that, you know, David Markham uh, is the most pro-Napoleon person you could ever meet, he's insanely pro-Napoleon. You have Not to true. you have to meet General Michel Franceschi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: You say a, a bad word about Napoleon around Franceschi, and he'll probably have you shot. Literally, stood up and shot. I think he's uh, he is uh, f- he is really really the pro Napoleon. But the other Well story- he is,
1: and I, he he has a passion for Napoleon that 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 surpasses even mine. And again, he's a wonderful man. He's one of the nicest people I know, and he's a very dear friend. But, yes, there is absolutely no question oh, yeah. he is a passionate defender of napoleon
0: Deli- delightful man i mean the the he spoke doesn't speak English and I don 't speak French, so we weren't able to share many words together but uh, just lovely warm, welcoming individual and his wife was just uh, absolutely gorgeous and and beautiful and a warm human but the other story I wanted to tell was when we went to the the uh, gift shop at uh, the Musée de l'Armée Armée next to Les Invalides in uh, Paris and you started grilling the, the manager there about why they didn't have your book in <laughs> Napoleon for Dummies. And she was saying, what did she say, something like, oh, no, it doesn't exist or it's not out. And you're saying, well, I'm well, the author. Well, that's right. I, I went up to this very nice woman
1: who was, you know, and actually I went to a clerk first and she quickly put me on to, to the manager or or some senior person. And I, and I asked, you know, in French, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm uh, why don't you have, uh, you know, Napoleon pour Uh You have uh, l'histoire de la France uh, pour et uh, and uh, why don't you have mine? And she says, well, monsieur, it n'existe pas, you know, it doesn't exist. And I said, as you say, me just with la tour, I'm the author of the damn thing, you know. Oh, she quick went into her computer and she looked <laughs> it up, and sure enough, there it was, but it wasn't on the approved list or some such thing. And she has assured me that she was going to see to it. She took my business card. She printed out the information on the book from this website of of, of books that can be made available for them to buy, uh, and she assured me that she would see to it that it's there. So if any of our listeners get to Paris, please, I know you'll probably go over there anyway. Anyone listening to this show is likely to want to go to Les Invalides to see Napoleon's tomb. Stop in the bookstore, uh, the gift shop, and see if my book is there. And if not, you know, pound your hands on the table and demand to know why it has still not been made available.
0: And if it's not, don't tell us. Just pretend
1: it is, send David. No, 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 no. no. I, would like, I, would, I would like to know because, you know, to me, you know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of, of, of good fortune in my life and a lot of honors and so on. Uh, but in a very real way, it would just be so cool to know that 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 my book was being sold at the gift shop at napoleon 's tomb, I just think emotionally you know even if they only sell two copies or whatever, uh, I just think that that would be uh, uh, something that would really you know i 'd really like so if, if i'm hoping it'll if you had I'm a, you had a choice
0: between them selling your book and selling the d v d pack of this series when we finished it, which one would you choose <laughs>
1: Well, the DVD, I suppose, because after all, then not only would they we be able to hear what I had to say, but they'd be able to see my smiling face.
0: <laughs> all right. So, sorry, I just wanted to add that. So, uh, you were talking about Hudson Lowe and uh, his library and uh, books that were uh, critical of Napoleon.
1: Well, you know, as as time moved on and and, and fairly quickly, uh, I think people began to realize that Hudson Lowe was not interested in making Napoleon's time there better. That, you know, he had orders, and, and again, to to give Lowe some, some fairness of treatment, he had orders saying, you know, you got to restrict Napoleon, we don't want him to escape, blah, 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 blah. So if you interpret them in the most severe possible way, you can justify reducing... Napoleon's ability to move around, for example, increasing the guard, making the guards closer. At one point, they, they were demanding that, that, that the guards have an opportunity to see Napoleon every day. Uh, at that point, Napoleon you know, pretty much closes himself in because he's not, he's not going to put up with that, and that's very horrible for his health. Uh, so if you, if, you, you know, if you look at it from that point, you're fine. But again... Napoleon's the governor of, of the island, Napoleon's jailer, uh, really needs to be a lot more flexible. And I would say that if this was, you know, Louis the Eighteenth that was in a French island in, in custody in, instead of Napoleon, uh, you don't take someone like that and and treat them the way. Napoleon was treated on St Helena. There's no point to it. It's excessively cruel uh and 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 it's very very difficult uh to 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 understand. So uh you know and 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 again Napoleon can be petty. There are times that Napoleon could have acted better. Uh certainly when we get to 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 uh uh Verling we'll we'll talk about how Napoleon Pettiness probably really ill served him uh and speaking of pettiness we we get again back to uh his staff uh, baron gorgon uh, Comte de Montalon were extremely uh jealous of lacaz or uh, some folks in English would pronounce it las casas in case you're wondering who I mean by lacaz uh Lacaz and Napoleon were the ones who spent the most time together. Uh, Napoleon, of course, was dictating uh his memoirs to to Lacaz. Uh Lacaz's son Emmanuel was a favorite in the imperial court. Uh and the other two folks were were quite frankly uh, very jealous of Lacaz, and Lacaz knew it and he was disgusted by it. I mean, from from Lacaz's point of view, Listen, if I'm the one Napoleon likes to spend time with, what's it to you? You know, give me a break. I am recording the great man's words for him. He enjoys my company more than you, more more than yours. So so get over it. Uh, but they weren't, of course. And frankly, Lecat was getting sick of the whole thing, and uh, and 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 managed to to get himself deported. Interestingly enough, his notes were confiscated by the Department of Homeland Security or whatever passed for that uh, as he tried to leave the island. So he gets home and incredibly enough rewrites his notes from memory and, and it's, a, it's a very famous book, Memorial de Saint-Hélène, uh, uh, Memoirs of St. Helena. It's a bestseller. The man becomes extremely wealthy it's been translated into any number of languages. You can you can find it online. I own a first or second edition from from you know eighteen seventeen or whatever, but uh it's it's one of the most important memoirs of St. Helena. And of course it 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 is very favorable toward Napoleon. Well duh. Napoleon dictated most of it, and Lacaz was a very, you know, great fan of Napoleon. But it balances some of the the negative stuff that that comes out uh so you know when he when 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 Napoleon loses Lacaz, well hes he's he's lost someone uh that uh that that he really enjoyed, and so his life takes a turn uh, for uh, the worst. And there's a big period of silence there while, while I sip my <laughs> medication and, and, and Cameron that was being caught completely off guard, uh, oh. waiting for me to continue my aimless rambling, uh, <laughs> doesn't have an immediate quote
0: ready for us. Oh, man, you took a breath when I wasn't expecting you to take a breath. That's always funny. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was, I've got some stuff on Hudson Lowe here, of course, that I wanted to read. Um, you know the the, the thing about Ho- Lowe that always gets me and obviously most of the stuff that you read about him is uh uh relatively negative but it's it's he just seems like a dour sour kind of guy right he just seems i don't know uh that that real that that kind of British aristocracy, dour sort of personality. And I can imagine, I always think of the relationship between him and Napoleon as Napoleon just having complete disdain for this little man who, you know, thought himself so high and mighty when, uh, you know, Napoleon obviously had uh, this massive string of accomplishments behind him. And this battle of wills between these two is actually quite fascinating, and quite petty, I think, on on both of their, uh, behalves. Although, you know, I guess Napoleon had to keep himself amused somehow <laughs> he was there, he, uh, and, and having a battle of wits against his, uh, enemy. He always liked a good enemy. Might have, um, helped pa- pass the time. But I've got this thing here that, um, The first act after Sir Hudson Lowe's arrival on the 5th was a curt intimation that he would visit General Bonaparte at 9am on the 16th. And accompanied by staff officers, he arrived at Longwood in a rainstorm to be informed by a member of the suite that the Emperor was indisposed and could not be seen. It was common knowledge that Napoleon rarely rose at that hour, but that he was... Unwell seemed subject to doubt, so Hudson Lowe paced furiously up and down before the Longwood windows in the downpour, considering the next move. The fact that Napoleon had added the governor had not asked before for an audience stung him. It was a bad start in their relations. An onlooker has left a description of the governor's arrival, the full regimentals of the accompanying officers, the nodding plumes and flash accoutrements, soaking slowly in the longwood weather, the bleak silence outside as well as within, and the frowning bulk of the barn. You know, so Napoleon, um, it wasn't really the best start to the relationship, <laughs> it was it? He could have uh, been a little bit more uh, gracious and tried to get it off on the right foot rather than uh, making what, perce- what, what could be perceived to be an act of petulance.
1: Well, I, I, I think that there's certainly... You know, some responsibility on both sides for for the the uh, the difficulty of the relationship. And, and I say in my in my book and I'll say again that, yes, Napoleon you know could have made more of an effort. And, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make some more mention of that as we go along. At the same time, I think the real burden of proof, uh, the real burden uh, for making the relationship work has to fall on 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 the people who are in charge. Now, if you are the, the, the jailer, if you are the one who who's given responsibility for for, you know, taking care of Napoleon, as it were, I think it's it's up to you to try to make that relationship as positive a one as you as you can. I mean, this is not a modern you know, state penitentiary or something where people are in lockup behind bars and, and don't really have any rights. And, you know, you get an hour of exercise in the in, in the yard every day or whatever. I mean, this is a guy who has been sent into exile, not into prison. And there is a distinct difference between the two, uh, who has been, uh, at one point allowed to live in, 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 in a place in town. He didn't like that. Uh, who for a while lived in, in relative uh, freedom and, and, and enjoyment at the briars, who has been given a, a, a whole house with, with, with property uh, as opposed to a cell. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not the same thing. And more and more and more, Lowe tries to move it toward Napoleon as a prisoner versus Napoleon, an emperor in exile, and, and I really do think that we have to recognize that that there is a difference there, and that that Lowe might have been a fine jailer, but not necessarily a fine governor of an island where there's someone like Napoleon in residence in exile uh, and and that's that's a, a very very critical difference and when people try to defend Sir Hudson Lowe and they just can't stand the fact that that, that people put Lowe down. uh, I don't think we put Lowe down in in terms of his honor, his integrity, his military service. Uh, I think we put Lowe down as simply being the wrong person for that kind of a job because it was not in his psyche really to recognize the difference between being a jailer and a governor of an island with an exiled emperor uh, under his watchful eye.
0: How is he, uh, how is he, is he perceived is he by, he the by the British? I mean, is he perceived as being a successful jailer? I mean, I guess he p- probably did his job fairly well. Napoleon didn't get off the island.
1: Well, I think you'd have to ask the British, and in and, 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 and all honesty, I'm sure just as there were were very different opinions of Napoleon – uh, amongst the British people at the time, I suspect that there are very different opinions of Sir Hudson Lowe among the British of today and among British historians. There have been uh, books and articles written by, by British historians and others, you know, defending Lowe. Uh, one, uh, the exact name of which I don't recall, uh, calling you know, saying that Lowe was the was was the real prisoner. And that Lowe was the the real victim uh, at St. Helena, not Napoleon, that it ruined his reputation because he was just doing his job and people have, you know, condemned him for it and so on. Uh, Whereas I'm sure other British historians would agree with me that, again, while his military service was certainly honorable, and I think. I, 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 don't, I don't imagine he was a bad person. I just think he was not the right person for that job. And, and I think that that a lot of British historians and certainly a lot of British people who just read history and, and look at this with an objective uh, a point of view
0: would agree. Well, apparently, uh, apparently um, another character in this story who I'm not entirely fond of, the Duke of Wellington, agreed with you because he said that uh, Lowe was a very bad choice. He was a man wanting an education and judgment. He was a stupid man. He knew nothing at all of the world, and like all men who knew nothing of the world, he was suspicious and jealous.
1: Well, that's right, and he was suspicious, and and he was jealous. I think he was jealous of of Napoleon. He was certainly suspicious. I mean, he was convinced to the point of, of, of paranoia that Napoleon was going to escape. Now again, my friends, remember where we are here. We're on this little tiny rock of an island, which is very, very tiny. It's ten miles long and at its widest it's six and a half miles, so it's not a big island, and there's no way i mean he can't swim someplace. he's a thousand miles from the next you know island <clears throat> he you know ships cannot sneak in. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like Barack Obama, something. I've got a cough here, so you know there's no way he's going to escape, or at least the the odds are incredibly tiny. Again, you can, but still,
0: can I mean, it, it's reasonable for Lowe to be on on his guard though. After Napoleon walked off of Elba, or or, or sailed off of Elba um yeah well, that was very different well yeah, sure but you know you, you can understand if you've been i mean imagine what would have happened to lowe if napoleon had managed to get off the island i mean he would sure. have been court-martialed and, and and quite possibly executed uh you know he well i he, doubt that okay A but court martial perhaps he would have been executed. court-martialed he was uh you know i i think that's Fair to be paranoid about it. He was obviously paranoid to the extreme, though. But I think with Napoleon's track record and Napoleon being who Napoleon was, you know, I would have been uh, extremely on my guard as well. Sure. But, 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 but bear with me for a minute. Can't believe I'm defending okay, Hudson Logan. You get. I'm sorry. I said I can't believe I'm defending Hudson Lowe. What if? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: you know, this is this is going to be the end of a very nice relationship. You keep <laughs> this shit up. Uh, no, really, you're right. He does have to be concerned. Of course, he has to be concerned. And even Napoleon would have agreed with you that yes, you know, when when if I'm Napoleon, when I go out for a ride beyond this area, it, it, it's true that they're going to be. Hopefully at a discreet distance, uh, some British horsemen kind of keeping an eye on things. Uh, if I want to go into town, sure. They're, they're going to want to know where I am. You know, uh, And if there's a ship in port, yes, they're going to post all sorts of guards uh, to make sure that no one goes onto the ship that, that they haven't checked to make sure it's not Napoleon. That's all fair enough. And I think that Napoleon and his entourage understand that there are going to be restrictions. But remember, at first he was allowed to live in the town where it would have been presumably at least a little easier for him to somehow slip onto a ship or something. Although, frankly, I don't think it had have been very easy at all. Uh, and, and then he was at the briars where the guards kept at a very, very discreet distance. And the, the, the military went out of its way. They, they built him a a study, and so forth and so on. Uh, so he saw how it could be. And and then it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that's, that's where I have a problem. No one, again, expects that Sir Hudson Lowe would not want to take reasonable measures to see to it that Napoleon didn't somehow manage to disappear. Of course he had to do that but he went way beyond what he needed to do. And as we're going to see today or next time, Napoleon didn't always react as well as as we might uh want. Things things do, you know, decide to 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 go south and and uh and I I'll talk a little bit about some of this and then we might want to put off the rest of it. You know, we're not going to get him, you know, uh, into his tomb on on on, on this uh, uh, show. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about some of the other kinds of problems that were going on. And one thing that you you cannot escape when you talk about Saint Helena is the the absolute farce that is his medical care and the revolving door of doctors uh that we have. Uh and nothing exhibits better the the, the pettiness of Lowe, and in all honesty, you know, some of the pettiness of, of Napoleon. Napoleon had been assigned a British doctor, uh an Irishman named Barry O'Mara. O'Mara was as far as I can tell, a, a perfectly acceptable doctor. And and Napoleon and, and Omera got along very, very well. Now, that should have been wonderful. From Napoleon's standpoint, he has a doctor he trusts. From the British standpoint, it's a British doctor. You know, you can't ask for more than that. Napoleon was initially... Going to be able to take a French doctor along with them, and I, we talked about this back then. And the French doctor declined to go, so Omera was was selected. So it should be a win win for everyone. But Sir Hudson Lowe is not happy that Omera and Napoleon are getting along so well. At any rate, uh, Omera is, is concerned about Napoleon's health. He's getting heavier. He's not getting much exercise. And, and, and so Amer says, listen, get, get more exercise, uh, Napoleon, you, you need to do that. Uh, well, it's hard to get exercise when you have to have an armed guard escort you. And when Napoleon, or rather when low comes on and the restrictions get tighter and tighter, uh, Napoleon no longer takes long walks. He no longer goes out on long rides. Now, again, I don't think of riding as a great exercise, but, but it's good mentally. It, it, you know it's, it's, it's good for the soul to get out there and get fresh air and, 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 and ride about. You get a sense of freedom. Uh, but when you have guards following you at close close order – uh, and when the area you can go walking or riding is 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 reduced dramatically, you tend not to do that uh, and so little by little over a few years he he comes there in eighteen fifteen uh, by eighteen eighteen his his situation is has gotten pretty grim uh, one of the most incredible decisions that the british government makes and and you know there's absolutely no justification for this it's just stupid they decide that napoleon should start paying some of the bills associated with his being a prisoner there you know you know who 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 could imagine such a thing so napoleon says okay fine i will sell some of my imperial silver and the word gets out to the rest of the world. Of course, the British are humiliated. Here is Napoleon being forced to sell some of his personal possessions to pay for an exile that he doesn't want. Uh, and so the British back off of that policy. Uh, you know, the, the British people just weren't amused by that. Uh, in in eighteen eighteen, the the Corsican servant uh, or major duomo really that napoleon had a man named cipriano franceschi uh died and he died in a way that was suspicious he seemed perfectly help- healthy and he dies and they open his tomb later on for an autopsy napoleon demands an autopsy so they open the tomb and the body is missing uh, franceschi was one of napoleon's closest confidants Confidants. We don't, we don't hear a lot about him. You hear about Gorgon and Omer and all the rest of them, but Franceschi was the one who would go into town and listen to see what the scuttlebutt was. Franceschi was the one who was the go-to man, if you, if you will, when Napoleon needed something. Uh, Franceschi was Napoleon's best tie to his Corsican roots. And, and uh, you know, so Cipriani, as he's usually referred to, is is indispensable to Napoleon, and there are people who believe he was poisoned or murdered, you know, in other ways or whatever. The fact that his body disappeared, I mean, there, there are questions about this. But when, when, when he loses Cipriani, Napoleon suffers a body blow to his mental health, to his ability to, to have faith that, that he knows what's going on around him and then in, 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 in March of the same year, eighteen eighteen uh, the Balcoms leave. Lowe was furious at the really good social relationship established between napoleon uh, and and Betsy and her parents, and eventually is successful uh, at forcing uh, you know the Balcoms to leave the islands, so Napoleon loses the 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 one tie he had to that earlier part of his his exile when when things really were going fairly well. I mean, there had been a little tension. I mean, you can argue that Napoleon was a little bit getting a little bit tired of of, of, of Betsy, although you know the, their departure was very poignant and so on. And then finally, that August, uh, Barry O'Mara is court-martialed essentially for having been too close to uh Napoleon and so he is court-martialed his military career uh, is ruined he's forced to leave the island and again Napoleon who like anybody wants wanted to have a doctor who he admired and trusted and and liked uh all of a sudden is is found uh without Adequate, uh, adequate medical coverage. And I think that would be a very, very good place for us to pick it up next time.